0: Support for this podcast is provided by SurveyMonkey for HR. SurveyMonkey helps solve some of the toughest challenges facing human resources professionals today. From recruiting, to retention, to offboarding, SurveyMonkey gives you the expertise, speed and scale you need to collect any type of employee feedback. So whether you want to improve your employee experience, increase employee engagement or streamline program application management, SurveyMonkey can help. Start collecting and acting on employee feedback to attract, engage and retain top talent for your business. Visit surveymonkey.com future. That's surveymonkey.com future and learn how to start building a better workplace. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine, than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 168 of the Recruiting Future podcast. I'm absolutely delighted that my guest this week is Bruce Daisley, VP EMEA at Twitter. Not only is Bruce a senior Twitter executive, he's also a passionate advocate of using science to improve workplace culture. He runs a hugely successful podcast on the topic called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, and is currently at the top of the bestseller lists with his book, The Joy of Work. In our interview, we talk about some of the things he's learned studying workplace culture, as well as Twitter's plans for the future. Enjoy. Enjoy hi Bruce and welcome to the podcast
1: thank you uh, it's nice to be on someone else's podcast for a change so it's uh it's it's good to be a guest
0: absolutely well it's a it's a pleasure to have you as a guest um, for, 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 for anyone who, who who might not know who you are could you uh, just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do
1: yeah well um, I'm I work in my day job at Twitter I, uh, I help run Twitter's business in Europe. So the sort of we've got um, we've got very capable leaders in France, in UK, in Spain. And so I work with them. So I'm responsible for that. And then um, I guess my side hustle in the the modern vernacular is that i'm a work culture obsessive so one of the expressions of that is, has been that i've basically uh, done a podcast for the last couple of the years about work culture called eat sleep work repeat where i was just following my passion my my personal interest of how to make my own job more rewarding and and to to make the team i worked with more satisfied and then um, about a year ago, I got a request by Penguin Random House. They said, "Would you be interested in turning that into a book?" And so, uh, so I'm also the author of the uh, of the book called "The Joy of Work." So, so I'm, I've got multiple things
0: that I do really fantastic. And I want to talk about the uh, the the book um, in a second. But but before we do, um, you know, always interested in talking about um, talking about podcasts. Um, so, you know, your, your podcast is great, incredibly successful. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously a big fan, as you can tell. Um, could you, for, for people who, who may not have listened to it, could you just kind of give us a, a flavour of what it's about? Maybe sort of talk about, you know, who, who have been sort of a couple of standout guests that you've had on the show in the last uh, year or so?
1: Yeah. So the, the podcast is about um, happiness and work culture. It's about sort of making work better. And so I was just interested um, here's what happened. My, my job at Twitter, the, um, I've, I've been <laughs> very fortunate that people used to say you know, the London office of Twitter was this remarkable, energising, positive place to work. And then I observed a couple of years ago that you know things were getting a bit harder. That were you know the the thing the things that previously had been motivating maybe sort were no longer as motivating. And so I was just interested, in and I found myself one Christmas thinking, "I'm gonna look into a bit of this. I'm gonna maybe go on Amazon, search for a good book on work culture, and uh, maybe spend my my holiday reading." Um, How to improve the work culture. I noticed there was nothing on worker culture. So I've spent about 65 66 episodes Interviewing the world's leading experts on worker culture and I've been very fortunate that tenacity has often got me to speak to the biggest names in the world Um, and you know the thing I was I found remarkable and the thing I was swept away by was the fact that a lot of the stuff that we do in our jobs is completely undermined by the science so people who've done science and investigation into how to improve work often recommend something very different to what we end up doing so you know uh, whether that's open plan offices or whether that's uh, just you know the the, the way that we over schedule our day days scientists seem to say that actually we we should be taking a very different approach. So my my feeling each week is can I give people uh – you know 25
0: 30 minutes science of how to how to improve their jobs fantastic and you kind of mentioned that you've had uh you know some of the sort of world's leading experts on um I know it's really unfair to ask but you know who, who have been some some of the sort of standout guests for you
1: yeah I mean look you know the, the world's number one expert on work is a guy called professor Adam grant and uh, a few people might have encountered him he's um he's a Wharton professor and he's just incredible he he' spent his you know, his short career he's, he's only sort of uh, mid 30s, but uh, he's, he's publishing some of the most captivating papers about work and purpose and our jobs. Um, so he's, he's done a, a fabulous job there. And, and he, you know, it was, a, you know, the remarkable thing is that I found emailing people saying that you've got this podcast and you just want 30 minutes of people time. People time. people are remarkably generous. And uh, so he was, you know, he was astonishing. I spoke to the, the world's number one architect because I wanted to understand when architects are designing offices, are they aware that the the toxins that open plan is creating? Um, and so I spoke to the world's leading architect, a guy called Bjarke Ingels, and it was, you know, the, the process of learning about architecture. I spent three weeks preparing for that interview. Uh, you know every night reading architecture websites and papers and books actually um so it's it's uh you know w- when you then get set to sit down with those people um that was captivating and I guess you know there's a there's a couple of people who through finding their research probably less well known but I was just blown away because I was so inspired by their work and and a woman called zainab Tan who won't mean, her name won't mean anything to anyone, but she um, set around trying to create uh, good jobs for people in retail, actually. She found that she's a professor of, of operations and she found that businesses that created good working cultures were twice as profitable as those who weren't. And so armed with that evidence, she started to find a way for for firms really to create good working cultures for their retail workers and then she'd set about saying hang on now we've got the proof that retail companies that create good culture are more profitable could we use that evidence to improve the lives of 10 million people in retail i mean what a sense of mission what a sense of purpose and i think you know a real inspiration for me so Zayanepton might not be a sort of household name but in terms of changing people's lives, I think if any of us could find ourselves changing 10 million lives, then what an honour, you know, what an incredible
0: service. Fantastic stuff. Um, so moving on to the moving on to the book, um, the the joy of joy of work. Now, the, the subtitle is 30 ways to fix your work culture and fall in love with your job again Um. Could you sort of give us a a, a bit of a um, a a taster of what some of those um, some of those some of those things are?
1: Yeah, well, my obsession was work culture, sort of as as I mentioned at the outset. My my obsession was how can we make things better around here? How can we improve what it's like to work around here? And and. What I immediately realized, what I came to the realization was, was that quite often um, you can't improve things until you've made people feel less overwhelmed by their jobs. So, you know, so the, the book, actually, the reason why it ended up being 30 interventions is that 12 of them are just a way to feel less burnt out in your job yourself. You know, I, I read an article the other day, well, yesterday, actually, in GQ magazine, saying maybe it's not too early to call 2019 the year of burnout. And I think, you know, we're increasingly seeing this narrative of burnout. It's it's permeating all corners of of, uh, of the di- the dialogue and the discussion about modern work. And, you know, my feeling was let's try and give people interventions to try and feel less burnt out. And I think, you know, then I go on and look at the way that, uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily describe this job as a book for a leader, but I think, you know, these um, definitely leaders could buy it for their teams or it it could be something that you could actually have as a team offsite to to discuss the content in there. Because the next 10 interventions are how to improve sync in your team. And the, and the final um, eight, how to create sort of a buzz state where you, where quite often, you know, you'll hear leaders say, you know, there was a real buzz to that place. And what I found was that there was very clear science of how to create a buzz start, state. So I was interested in that. And I've just been blown away by the response. So it's been Sunday Times number one bestseller for the whole of January. It was, you know, it was just behind Michelle Obama and the overall hardback sales. Um, so it's, it's just... I think the sales have swept me away. But the probably the really interesting thing is that a lot of people have contacted me saying, you know, I bought this for my whole – I read it, I bought it, and I then bought it for my whole team. And it seems like there's something in there, combination of – answering the burnout that a lot of us are feeling combined with um, some very practical ways that we could all improve our jobs that seems to have really hit a chord with people.
0: Fantastic stuff. Um, I um, I particularly like the section um, that, that you did about meetings and uh, how how ineffective they are.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, you know, meetings are the, are the tax of modern working and, and the average British person spends 16 hours a week in meetings or two days a week in meetings. The average manager, according to Harvard Business Review, Spends three days a week in meetings. So, look, you know, this—it's this sort of tax on us. It's spending. It's demanding so much of our time. And I think um, increasingly, we we find ourselves in this sort of conflicted state where we we know that the meetings that we're in are awful and are a drain on our energy, but we're scared. We're reluctant to admit it. And so, you know, my feeling was, okay, is that is that just my feeling? Is that universal? what i found was look you know a lot of people are feeling exactly the same um and so consequently i wanted to um i wanted to to look at uh, the the evidence of when meetings are good when meetings are bad and what you find is look, one of the the secret sources of great work culture is something called psychological safety when workplaces achieve psychological safety then it seems to um, it seems to put their culture into an elevated state. And psychological safety is this fascinating thing where it's the ability to speak up to, to bosses. It's the ability to, to speak candidly. And what you find about psychological safety is that small meetings are better able to achieve it um, than, than big, big meetings. So if you've got five people in a meeting people are more likely to tell the boss what they really think than if you've got 20 people now that's also the quickest way reducing the amount of people in meetings is the quickest way to reduce the burden of meetings on us so um so you know the 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 more time the fewer people we have in meetings the the less time the whole company
0: is spending in meetings really from a Recruiting perspective. Obviously, many of the people listening are in, uh, recruiting roles within, within companies. Um, what would your message be to employers? What can they take from the book that's going to help them, um, attract the, the, Um, the talent they need to their businesses? I think,
1: you know, I I talk about uh, a number of things and a number of things that I think are relevant to recruiting. One of the things that was really interesting for me was the science on diversity. And I don't think any of us have escaped any messages about diversity over the last couple of years. But it's just a good reminder that, you know, diversity, quite often when recruiters are recruiting, they might find themselves um, hiring for culture fit you know you quite often hear this that people say uh people say oh you know um uh, we, we want to hire people who are going to fit in people who who are going to be good to go down the the pub you know i was chatting to one person who said you know we do, we do exactly that we want to hire people who are going to have the same energy that we're going to have it's going to be sort of people we'd love to have a beer with and um, so for me, it was just a good reminder to go and look at some of the science of of diversity and uh, and what you find with diversity. Is there was there's a wonderful case study from uh, Harvard where they uh, they put groups groups of of a Harvard frat house and they put them into teams and they. Um, and they they had two of them in in the team, and they gave them a murder mystery, and then ten minutes in, another team member was introduced, and that was a number mem- another member of the frat house, and then te- about five minutes later, a final member came in. Now half the time this was a member of the frat house, and half the time this was a a stranger, someone who wasn't in the frat house. What happened? Well, the people who who had another member of the frat house come into the uh to the the game. Uh, enjoyed it considerably more. They loved it. Being around people like us was way more enjoyable. However, when you look at the results, uh, the the people who were just in all frat house teams got the answer right on the murder mystery puzzle they were given. They got the answer right 29% of the time. The people who were in the diverse group with the stranger got the answer right 59% of the time. So so diversity, even though it was less comfortable, it made the teams twice as effective. And I think that's one of the important things when it comes to recruitment. Quite often, people might say, look, we want someone who's going to fit in. He's going to have someone who's got to have the same energy, someone who, you know, feels like they'll fit in and it's just a good reminder that that might be the first person who gets through the recruitment process but actually doesn't necessarily mean they're in service of being a better team and i think it's good reminder
0: for me absolutely i mean that makes um that makes perfect sense um so uh, normally um on uh the show my final question is to Kind of ask my guest about their their vision for the future and what what 's kind of going on in their world and what 's on their radar um, and I think it would be really remiss of me not to ask you a question about uh, Twitter so um what's what's kind of next for Twitter what can we sort of look forward to um, over the next sort of eighteen months um, two years when it comes to the sort of the further evolution of um, of the platform
1: yeah I, th- I think where Twitter's at its best I think you know it's a recognition that it's a it's a platform for it's, it's not a look at me platform. I think, you know, right now we've got a lot of apps on our phone which are all about look at the beautiful meal I'm eating, look at the beautiful sunset I'm watching, look at, me glammed up to go out somewhere and and Twitter's decidedly not a look at me platform it's a look at that platform right it's like oh wow I'm really fascinated with what's happened here or or here's something funny that happened on my train this morning it's it's a it's a look at that it's sort of you know we share links for something that inspired us so I think you know now we're really clear on that and I think you know, our audience is continuing to grow. We just just posted sort of nine percent growth figures. Our audience is continuing to grow for that that news case. You know, if you're in recruitment, then it's the quickest way to connect with other recruiters. If you're if you're interested in work culture, it's the quickest way to see what people are talking about worker culture. So um, it's a great gift to be connected to to um, people in, in that way. I think our focus then is focusing on facilitating those conversations how can we make those conversations could it feel like you're in the biggest whatsapp group for recruitment So imagine that. But you're in a WhatsApp group with the best recruiters, the WhatsApp group with people who are maybe in your field. And that's what we want it to feel like. We want it to feel like it's an open global public conversation, but around the things that you're interested in. So I think we're going to do a lot of things um, that are in service to that. We're doing a lot of our thinking in public. So, you know, if you if you uh, follow. A few of our product leads and, you know, you can you can see some of them if you follow Jack Dorsey, our founder. He'll often retweet them or people like me will retweet them. Um, And so you'll see quite often, you know, we did something last year where we, we tweeted out. We're saying, look, we we because we want to facilitate conversation. We're thinking of having just an icon at the top of your timeline of who's online right now. A lot of people immediately replied saying, don't like that i don't like that i feel i feel that that would be unwelcome so that's what we're trying to do at the moment we're trying to be transparent to do our sort of product development in public and really twitter has always been at its best when the people who use it have inspired us to to, to develop the changes so we're
0: trying to do more of that really so uh, final, final question. Um, where can people find you? Where can they find you? Where can they find the book? And where can they find the podcast?
1: Yeah. So um, I think I mentioned, you know, the book was number one business bestseller. So, you know, it's it's sort of very discoverable on Amazon. I was, um, that's, you know, uh, so the joy of work is the book. And, um, you know, I'm always keen for people to reach out to me on LinkedIn if they've if they've read the book or if they've listened to the podcast. So um, the podcast is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, where it all began, really. And look, I think all of us are inspired and motivated to try and improve the jobs we're in. And that's not just if you're the boss. That's just all of us, really. So, um, yeah. and And you can also find me on Twitter, of course.
0: Bruce. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so grateful. My thanks to Bruce Daisley. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify user, you can also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me.
1: This is my show.